What's up, y'all? This is DJ King Tech, Wu-Tang Clan, American Saga on Hulu right now. Today, we're sitting down with Sophia Chang. Like I said all before, these are not your normal podcasts. I'm going to get deep, deep in her uh, relationship with the Wu-Tang Clan, where she grew up, her kids, her life. Um, I don't know, man. We're going to go left field, right field, and come back down the center, man. Um, this is it. Let's get into it. Hi, Sophia. This is how I'm going to start it. Just, it's like, you know, I don't even know how to start this, man, because I was just, I ran into you at the elevator and I was like, you know, Sway and I would be honored if you actually interviewed us one time. Because I would be you, honored to do uh, it. Because, you know, there's not that many people in the world that have been through as much crap as I say <laughs> we've been through, right? Because I'm, I'm sure, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Sure. So when you came into hip hop in the in the early mid eighties. Late eighties, yeah. Late eighties. Well, no, when you fell in love with it was early eighties, yes, right? right? Yeah. You start thinking to yourself, where do I fit in this landscape? Like how do I make it to the next level, right? Yeah. And and then over the years I used to see you and I used to see Riza and, and different people have so much respect and love for you, right? And we're we're Cali guys. So Sway and I, you know, um, we're from in California, man, and I never really asked Riza, what, why her? Why did she get put on? Why? So finally, one day I was talking to Carmelita, and Carmelita like broke it down. Was like, listen, Sophia was what Carmelita was for us, mm-hmm. you know, the female, the, the the love that you need on the other side. Because male, you know, guys, we want to fight, we want to push, we want to be like, yeah, we're the baddest dudes in the business. We yeah. they can't mess with us, right? And then sometimes you needed a level-headed person. <laughs> And I, I, I'm telling you, I don't know. I'm trying to be super respectful in the way I'm being. But honestly, back then, like most of the cats didn't know what the fuck they was doing, right? <laughs> and they were like just figuring it out. Like the late 80s, I think I've I heard you um, in other interviews talking about this, that everyone was just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Like, is this going to die? Right. How many, you know, before we came on the radio, like in the 89, Everyone kept telling me when hip hop was gonna die. Yeah, it's a fad. It's a fad, right? So they would say, you know, uh, Run DMC is gonna last to this point, and they're gonna die. And then this is gonna LL Cool J is gonna die, and then this is gonna die, and this is gonna die, and this is gonna die. And in some ways, as a hip hop fan, you kind of knew in your heart, like, is it gonna die? Like, is this gonna get played out? You what? You knew it wasn't going to, though. Yeah, yeah. So and I'm guessing, and I'm guessing, and I most hip hop heads know like the message and know um rapper's delight yeah and uh I mean, you didn't you weren't born and raised in new york were you no born and raised in vancouver vancouver yeah. oh so west coast canada yeah basically right yeah so were those the first records that kind of got you when did you fall in love with hip-hop and know this is from me so first i want to point out that um your question of why me why sophia chang Yes. When I was finished writing my memoir, I wanted to do a documentary about myself because now I want everything to be about me. And I spoke to this really smart filmmaker named Grace Lee. And I said, I'm not really sure what the documentary is. And she said, well, Sophia, now that you've written the memoir, what's the question that you have? And it was, why me? Exactly that question. So that is such a smart question. So Thank I you. appreciate you asking that. And I appreciate that you asked Carmelita and that she gave right, you a great right, answer. Right. So growing up, in Vancouver Tech, I grew up on Top 40 Radio. I, so I wasn't exposed to black music. I wasn't exposed to black 
people in person or brown people. The only exposure I had to any kind of black culture was in Hollywood. And that's all through a white male lens, right? Right. So I'm not listening to R&B and I'm not listening to gospel or any of those things. And the first song that I heard that really struck me, that changed my life, was in 12th grade. It was a message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. And there was... You know, of course, there's the song in and of itself. The rhymes are amazing, and the beat is incredible, and there's so many guys, and there's this urgency, and there's this storytelling, and there was something that just resonated really deeply with me. And now that I've written the memoir, and now that I'm doing interviews and kind of doing this interrogation of my past, I think that what it is was that I was hearing a person of color tell their own story as opposed to letting white Hollywood Tell it. dictate the story, right. Right? right? And there was so much power and fury and pride mm-hmm. and agency and urgency, and all of those things really spoke to me because I was a little white girl, a little yellow girl growing up in a white world who really wanted to be white. And then I heard this song, and it was like a punch in the gut in the best way possible, like a wake the fuck up kind of thing. Right. So that was the song that I fell in love with. And the next touchstone that I remember was seeing the King of Rock video. Because I only heard the message. I Do didn't you see a video. know any of the rhymes in the message? Which rhyme stuck out the most to you? Oh, I think it's the hook. The hook? I think it's the hook. You know, I Don't think Don't push it's, me? No, it's, it's like or a jungle sometimes. sometimes. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 you know, oh. Because there's this sense of like, it's like a jungle sometimes, sometimes. I wonder how I keep from going under. Right. You know, like I do, and I know this now that I live in New York, that sense of you're in this city that is so big and so active and there's so much energy and so kinetic and you have to like fight to keep your head above water. And that's me as like a middle-class Korean Canadian educated kid, you know? And so I found that resonated with me really deeply was that sense of like, there's this struggle, but I'm still going to make it. Right. And I'm going to do it. Because it wasn't, sometimes it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It wasn't, I'm going to go under. It was like, I have these moments when I ask myself, how the fuck do I do this? Right. And that do you feel like that was the big bang in hip hop in a sense? Like, you know how the universe is created with a right. big bang, right? I've thought about this, and I don't know how many uh, other people I can ask this question, because you have to live that era to understand it. Right. I mean, we weren't here in the beginning of the universe right. or somebody could tell us, right. hey, man, you 20 billion <laughs> years old. Well, what happened? He's like, hey, this is what but we were there in that era. I honestly thought about this. I think it was like the Big Bang because before that, all the rhymes were party, party, party. Right. right. You know, oh, throw your hands. in the, yeah, right. Yes, yes, yeah, y'all. You yeah. know, everything was like, which is great. Right. This dude comes and says, a child is born with no state of mind, yeah. blind to the ways of mankind. mankind. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the first time I'm like, wait, 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 what? Right. Child, what, what? what the? Wait, yeah. let me write this down. And, People and, pissing in the stairs. Yeah, you know, it, mean, was, uh, it was so vivid, and uh, you're breaking it down perfectly. Uh, so do you feel like that kind of was the Big Bang? You know, Tech, I'm not, a, I'm not qualified to talk about this the way that you are because I'm not a historian the way that you are, but I can say for me, for sure. It was it your was, big bang. It was my it was my big bang. And okay. when I hear you contextualize it that way, then it makes sense because if I had heard one of the party rhymes, I don't know that it would have resonated so deeply with me because I was gotcha. a French lit major. So that means that I read literature and I read poetry and I thoroughly believe Why that- a French Wait, wait, hold on. I'm trying to Vancouver, Canada French lit. <laughs> well, I love music and I love dancing. 
And then to hear hip hop, to hear the message, hip hop is poetry to me. MCs are poets to me. Right. A wide range of them. And so it also struck me just in terms of the words and the wordplay and how things were put together. Right. So as a literature major, I really, and, and as somebody that loves words and wordplay, it really, um, it really struck me as well. But I think that if, if I had heard just the more party rhymes, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have struck me as deeply. In the same way that, you know, Public Enemy was a revelation for me. Right. You know? It was a next, next... next level. Yeah. But but the big, in my opinion, I think the Big Bang only because it also gave birth to a lot of other MCs. There you go. Mm-hmm. Internationally, mostly in the U.S., that were like, wait a minute, we can write down deeper stuff now. Right, right. And it, it, was a actually, gate, it was a gateway. It was a gateway. Yeah. yeah. So then I was reading um, Kumo D's book, which um, was like, there's a God MC on the mic, and he had painted it just like you're painting it. Like he's like, man, when people heard those rhymes, they were like. There might be a Rakim coming without knowing mm-hmm. Rakim's coming. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it opened the door of. Yeah. So anyway, I'm just sharing some history with I you, and I that. appreciate your history. So continue. So where we at after the Big Bang? What happens? So I, so I hear Ooh. the Big Bang. <laughs> I'm in the twelfth grade. I go to college. I become a French lit major, honors, and <laughs> what I knew. I'm growing up in honors. Vancouver, and Vancouver is a lovely town, but it's it, it's still you know many of us that grow up in the smaller towns we kind of itch to to go somewhere bigger. And as a French major, naturally, it was Paris. Um, And then I went to Paris, and I met the French, and I changed my mind. And then I visited New York. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) You went to France? I went to Paris. I met the French, and I was like, I don't want to live with these people. What happened? (laughs) Because I think think the French are, um, I think that there is a kind of a pride and an arrogance that I could not I just couldn't, I couldn't get into. And I also think being Asian in Paris, I felt even more other than I did in Vancouver. I just didn't feel like I fit at all. Mm. Um, and, but, and I love, I mean, I love Paris. I love the food. I love the culture. I love the wine, the cheese, right. all of that stuff. But being, I don't think that I could have lived with Parisians. And then I came to New York. Okay. And... Uh, it was my final year of college, and I, it was, as the French would say, j'étais comme poisson dans l'eau, which means I took like a fish to water. And you know that there are those cities, there are those places that you go, and it's almost like certain people that you meet, and you're like, ah, uh, yeah. Right. This, this is, is me. It. Yeah. This is me. This works. This is home, whether it's. Right. A friend or a lover or a city. Right. You know, or a right. song. Right, right. So let's fast forward a little bit now. So what happens? So so, all I, this, so go ahead. <laughs> keep going. So, I, so I'm in New York City uh, for a visit. I go to the Ritz. You remember it used to be called the Ritz. It's now Webster Hall. I'm scanning the crowd. My friend that I'm with, Steve Palmer, who's studying here at Columbia, says, oh, my God, Sophia, look, it's Johnny Ramone. And, you know, the Ramones... They gave birth to punk, essentially. Right. And I was like, oh, shit, it's Johnny Ramone. And I run downstairs, and I walk up to him, and I stick my hand, and I'm like, hi, I'm Sophia Chen. You're Johnny Ramone, aren't you? And he looks at me, and he goes, I'm Joey. (laughs) (laughs) It was a total, total fuck up. And then we became friends. We stayed in touch. He introduced me to a friend of his, Legs McNeil, who was an amazing rock critic. I stayed with them. When I moved back to New York, I got a job at Paul Simon. Then I worked at Atlantic Records. But when I moved back to New York, you know, Sway, in 1987, you remember this. I'm bugging. I'm so sorry. Listen, man, Sway and Tech, we're pretty much the same people at this point. I'm (laughs) bugging. So when I moved back to New York in 87, 
the scene was this big. Right, you remember small. that? Yeah, and yeah. Every all of us were there. MCs, DJs, graph artists, B boys, and the industry people. You had the A and R people, the managers, the publicists, the touring agents. We talking about the late eighties, right now? Late eighties. Okay, so the late eighties, from what I remember, it was a weird time in hip hop because it was being banned from radio. I don't know if you remember this. I don't. But so in the late eighties. Um, once NWA came out and it was all this, everything on the news was violence, violence, violence. All of a sudden Uh hip hop was completely taken Uh off the radio. Right. Yeah. And now hip hoppers had to make party records, i.e. dance records. So you Uh had to make like house music with rap on Uh it to get Uh club play. Uh So people like Big Daddy Kane. Cool G rap, like lyricists, all starting to start like, and it's like, so if you remember going to clubs, you would fiend for like a a lyrical hip hop. Yeah, you wanted uh, Streets of New York. You wanted, yeah. Eventually started becoming uh, called Hip House. Yeah, I remember. Girl, I'll house you. Yeah, girl, I'll house you. And, and, you know, a lot of people that went to clubs at that time, we were trying to, we were dying for some hip hop to be played in the club, but it really felt like, is it going to die? Right, and I, I mean, I'm sure you knew it wasn't, yeah. but not, but but the general public was like, it's dying. Right. So go it's ahead. Gonna, so, so so then I moved to New York and I go to the clubs and this is where I meet Funk and Klein, God rest his soul. Oh, okay. The Captain, God rest his soul. Okay. Chris Lighty, God rest his soul. Right. Yeah. I mean, how many times do I say this in my memoir? Too many. Mm. And so the Captain Sean Carasaw was doing A and R at Jive at the time in New York, and he said, Sophia, I'm moving to L.A. You should interview to do my job in New York. I was like, word, me? Okay. And I go and I interview with Barry Weiss, uh, who was the who ran Jive. He's the president of Jive. And um, he told me that the second I walked in the door, he's like, nope, not her. Oh, God. <laughs> and then after an hour and a half, he decided to give me the job. And I asked him recently, I said, Barry, why did you hire me? Same question, why me? And he said, because, Sophia, you were so ensconced in the industry already. You knew everybody and you had this amazing network and you were so passionate and so knowledgeable. So I got the job. And that's where I signed Fushnikins, and then I spent a bunch of time in the Bay, right? Right. Why the Bay? Why did, well, how did you wind up in the Bay? That's a, you know, I'm trying to remember. I was talking to Domino about this, Domino from Hyro. I was trying to remember how did I get that demo, but as soon as I heard the demo, as soon as I heard Souls of Mischief Tech, I was like... Oh, you had to get to the Bay. I got to get to the Bay. Gotcha. So I, I went to the Bay, and I spent so much time there, and it was so fertile. I mean, think about it. It was... Dell, it was Souls, Casual, Pep, you know, all of these guys. And they were so young. And it was, I love that nascent stage of a crew when they're young and they're hungry and they haven't made it yet. And they're just sleeping on each other's couches on each other's floors. You know what this is like, right? Exactly. It was the same thing with Wu-Tang. You know, they're all in Staten Island. They're on Michelle Court at Riz's house and they're all sleeping on the floor, sleeping on the couches and they're there all night and they stay up all night and they just make these rhymes and it was the same when I met Organized Noise. This first time I met Outkast and Goody and all of them in 94 in Atlanta. Right. They were all at Rico Wade's house and all they did was rhyme. And right. being in that incredibly explosive, combustible, creative energy was so thrilling for me. I mean, you remember what Hyrule would like. They would freestyle more than they would talk like you and I are talking right now. Absolutely. And it was so much fun. And you would just watch them and go, fuck, your mind is like, without us knowing what it was, a processor. Yeah. 
right? There's yeah. a chip in there because you are processing thoughts and words and rhymes and putting them all together at right. a phenomenal rate. And, you know, in Kung Fu, we say sharpen your blade, sharpen your blade. Right. Every day. You got to sharpen your blade every day. And they sharpen their blades every day. So I signed, I signed, uh, Souls, I signed Casual, I signed Fushnikens before them, and then I left to do a marketing company. And then I, you know, but meeting Wu-Tang Tech was, this was the big corner that I turned. So You met Wu-Tang before all this, though, correct? I met Wu-Tang, no, I met Wu-Tang in the summer of 93, and their album came out November 11th, November 11th or something, uh, 1993. So I signed Souls before I met Wu-Tang. Mm. And their album came out right around uh, the time that I met Wu-Tang. Now, if you had heard Wu-Tang at the same time, would there be a Souls album? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, because I wouldn't have been able to sign Wu-Tang. You know that. I couldn't sign a non-exclusive. Oh, that's because RZA was going around asking for it. No, yeah. let's just say he was going to give you the whole, like what he did with Loud. Would you guys well, have- and, and And I had to sign one or the other? Yeah. I would have signed Wu-Tang. Really? I, I think I would have. I think I think that there was something about Well, first of all, I'm a New Yorker, but I think there was something about them that was so explosive. So it's not necessarily I'm not going I'm not a being talent to talent. Yeah, I right? understand. Yeah. It's more about how behemoth they were. There were nine of them. Right. And they were just this force of nature. So if Barry Weiss had said to me, Sophia, you can either sign Souls of Mischief or Wu-Tang Clan. And, you know, it's like being asked as a parent, which one of your children do you love more? Right. I would have said Wu-Tang, not necessarily because I thought they were more talented, but because I knew that this was going, we all knew that this was going to be right. massive. Souls was a risk. It was a small risk in there. A smaller Cali risk. Cali guys, That's right. new That's sound. Right. And it's and not, not L.A. Oakland. Bay Area. It's Bay. So you yeah. have short. So think about what's coming out of the Bay. Yeah. Short, Spice. Digital poo, Underground. Poo, digi- uh, right. You know, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you have these guys that are almost a little bit like. Left oh, field. And a little yeah. bit hippie-ish, which is yeah. what I loved about them. And they're right. so extraordinary. But I think that all of us had this sense of like. Almost like impe- it's almost like impending doom. Like, oh my God, that dam is going to break, and you know what's going to be behind it is this rush of water, and it's going to be Wu Tang Clan, and we're all going to be completely, you know, mm. immersed in it. So I heard the demo, couldn't sign them, but I was playing it for everybody that would listen. Right, like I right. was a total Wu evangelist. Like, yo, gotta listen to this. Yo, oh my God, oh right. my God. Um, and then I got the Gravedigger's demo. So that's the, that's RZA's next group. That's right. His that was like the horror horror core. <laughs> yeah. yeah, horror yeah, core. Like, Fruquan poetic. God rest his soul and um, Prince Paul. And I wanted to sign this as well. And this gave me the opportunity to meet with him. And we met. And man, tech. I have I have a, I have had two children, which is I'm going to blame it on my children. No, I have a terrible memory. But this, I remember every detail. Down to meeting meeting with RZA? Yeah. About the, was anybody else there? Was it just you and him? It was just me and him. Yeah. We went to a restaurant that was called Locks Around the Clock. It was on the northeast corner of 21st and 6th. It's not there any longer. Uh, I had a burger. He had something vegetarian. I was wearing this Club Monaco fine print check dress, navy and white. And I just remember, so I don't remember the words of the conversation, but I remember the feeling. 
Yeah. And I remember the sense that I had like, fuck, are you smart? Yeah. Yeah. But not only smart, but just, you know, Riz's mind is like none other than I've ever encountered. And I know really smart people. I really try to surround myself with people smarter than me. And I think that he had this extraordinary combination of creativity, like just this worrying mass of creativity, like a particle accelerator. And then he was also really, really erudite. I mean, Rizza has easily read probably 10 times more than I've read, if not 100 times. That guy is a voracious, voracious reader. He is phenomenally intellectually curious. And so the, I just remember thinking, you're one of the most unique and amazing people that I've ever met. And I was like, and now you can't get rid of me. Uh, no, I'm your buddy forever. <laughs> Even if I got you your don't number? think so. Yeah. Exactly. I know where you live. I know yeah. where you live. I know. <laughs> I got the same feeling when I hanged out with him. Um, when did you first meet him? Well, I was just, you know, saying a story, man, where we were in a, um, so back to your high roll mm-hmm. and soul sting, I believe part of the reason that this second Big Bang or third Big Bang was happening, Sway and I accidentally, we were putting out records, but accidentally I won a, he won MC battle, I won a DJ battle, and we got on this station called KMEL. Mm-hmm. There was a young program director Yay. that said, Keith Nafley said, hey, just do what you want. Keith, just make yes. it dope. So... Us being hip hop historians at this point, yeah, we wanted to represent hip hop in the best way possible. Yeah. So we made this show called The Wake Up Show be as authentic as hip hop as we thought. We wanted to make New Yorkers proud. We wanted to make yeah. the Latin. We wanted we, in our mind the Latin rascals were going to walk into the door and go, "You guys are incredible," right? <laughs> Seriously, like we, we like I'm from an era where you always respect the OGs, yeah, right. And so when we did that, and you know, within about six months, the show, the tape started circulating around the country, and the show kind of started exploding. The next thing we know, Red Alert is outside, um, and a large professor was outside, and the next thing you know, the word Summer Jam, this is a big deal, was created at KMEL, because now we were doing, st- so many people were looking at the station because of the hip-hop they were playing. Right. And Keith and other people knew, like, hip-hop is going to die, but you guys are making it great. Yeah. So the word Summer Jam was created at KML, right? Really? He was like, I'm just going to throw an event. And did you guys ha- host the first ever Summer we Jam? We didn't host it. We didn't. We, we were part of the, the making of it. Cause right. We, Sway and I were still artists as Sway and King Tech. Right. No, but I mean the station. The station, yeah. The station threw the first Summer Jam, right? Right. And he didn't coin the phrase. He didn't, you know. He just he just thought, hey, this is a cool way to get all these stuff that we're playing that no one else seems to believe in. Get them all on one. Get stage. them all on one stage, right? So we became friends with like Black Sheep and mm. Public Enemy and, and X Clan and, and Tribe. All Taylor, of these yeah. people, like a crazy story, man. I got a call. We put out a record called Unsolved Mystery that helped. Um, we didn't know this at the time. Um, I got a call from Q Tip. His house had burnt down. And Q-Tip called me, I think it was like 97, I don't remember, man, at the house. Hey, Tech, man, you got an extra copy of uh, Unsolved Mystery. I know you, you motherfuckers put that record out. I, I know I saw the label. I saw your face on it. I said, <laughs> yeah, what? Well, he goes, hey, man, I want to tell you something, dude. That record saved New York. And I was like, the record, he goes, man, between 92 and 93, nobody knew what the sound was going to be. Interesting. And there was this record that was playing in the Bronx nonstop. We finally got a hold of it and looked at it, and as we saw like all city productions, and we saw the Bay Area number in Cali, like these dudes in the Bay put this out, wow, which is a whole different story. Yeah, 
But going back to KML, what happened was guys like Sophia, mm-hmm. Hobo Junction, yeah. and Hyro and all yeah. that, they felt like they finally had a platform. And here's, you know, Sway and I are like in our early 20s, yeah. and anybody who can rhyme well is welcome to the station, yeah. right? So yeah. we were looking for real dope MCs. And we had a guy named Motion Man. We had the group called The Bums. We had all these guys. Anybody who could rhyme, we welcomed. Because we were kids that just loved hip-hop. So by the time you came... The door was not only open, but the movement had started because now the, everybody had cassettes of the wake up show yeah. going to school. Yeah. So the whole the cool thing was you record the show on the weekends and then you pass it around during school. And yeah. then I, I believe that, you know, with our influence and having a having a, a platform mm-hmm. for them to shine on. And mm-hmm. I think that's the key thing that years later when hip hop completely changed in the 2000s mm-hmm. and I know you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about because instead of guys like a Swain Tech running the station mm-hmm. their corporate office started running the station yeah. yeah literally in 2000 they came into the room and they were like do we need the wake up show guys do we need a Swain Tech here and we're like why is the ratings bad and yeah you know I just and what we didn't know is is that Radio and hip hop had gotten so big from the. Remember, they said it was gonna die yep. in 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 early nineties. Uh, mm-hmm. In ninety five, Lauren Hill was in the cover of Time magazine, and it says hip hop is here to stay, and they put a phrase on it, right? So by ninety nine, the same people came up to us and was like, "Look, man, um, you know, there's a couple of records we think you guys should be playing Wake Up Show," mm-hmm. and we're like, "Well, that's not what the Wake Up Show is about. It's mm-hmm. about finding the new dopest mm-hmm. dudes. Not we don't want to." play the records that are already in rotation Mm -hmm. sir you know what i mean and we were young and they weren't budge and we wouldn't budge and so we have to kind of come off the air for a while Mm -hmm. but that but what you're describing um i can you know remember like yesterday is that that station and uh keith nafley alex mejia dave moss a lot of these guys yeah all of these guys they opened the door and they let swain tech be swain tech they paid the fines they I'm sure there was a lot of fights behind the scene, but but that's when radio stood behind artists, even if our jobs were on the line. Yeah. So Swain and I really didn't care. Like, you want to fire us? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. You really want to fire us? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they've thought about it a million times, but look what the level Sway's taking it now. It's the yeah. same format. Yeah. He brought it to New York in yeah. 2010, and they told him he didn't know what he was doing. He's like, bro, I've been doing radio for 25 years. A long years. time, yeah. I know yeah. how to do this. Yeah. No, you don't. You'll be out of here in two weeks. And I asked Sway, I said, Sway, how many haters you got in New York in your face? This is this is vivid as as you remember meeting with Rizzo? Yeah. Sway put his middle finger up in the air mm-hmm. and he goes, Tech, I could be in a room with a guy at the station with his middle finger on my microphone as I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't even phase me. Yeah. I said, what? Really? Because me, I'm like divine. I'm like ready to knock your ass out. Right. I'm like, dude, you disrespect me three times, it's on. Right. Sway had become more like RZA. It's like, oh, keep with your hey, bro. I'll just grab another mic. Keep your finger right there. Yeah. I'm going to grab another mic. Yeah. So he had zenned out to another place, in my opinion. And I think to, to so we, we're, that's why we're so much, we have so much um, the same in a, in a weird way. Like without even knowing each other, mm-hmm. like, you know, so when you start talking about Hyro, it's, it just it makes me smile because it. If you ask Domino, you know we were using their promos on the air. Anybody who wanted to come on the air, the famous Hobo Hyro battle. Mm-hmm. Do you know about that battle? Yeah, it was, the, uh, wasn't it the Gavin. 
No, 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 no. So basically, I was in L.A. trying to get the um, the show cracking in L.A. Mm-hmm. Sway called and said there's a big beef going on between Hieroglyphics and Hubble Junction, which is all online. If, you, if you're young and you're hearing this, look it up. It's like the first real deal, like people that were angry at each other, lyrical monsters on the air together. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on. Sway bamboozles me, says, come to the bay. <laughs> it's going to be all love. I come into the station. He's hiding behind the board on the other side. And he's smiling at me like, you about to get your ass knocked out. I mean, he, I can see it in his face. I'm like, what, what's going on? I look to my left. Severe Hobo Junction are ready to kill Casual and everybody mm-hmm. else on this side. And I'm telling you, there was a point where punches were thrown. Really? And I was... For some reason, I thought this took place at the Gavin. Oh, okay. It was at the station. It was at the station. Okay. It was massive cursing, massive feuding, massive... I don't remember uh, downstairs... I don't know if Hobo was shooting at Hiro or or Hiro was shooting at Hobo, but it it all started, you know, guns came out. It just got crazy. Wow. But that's the level of freedom KML had given us. Like, you motherfuckers are crazy. Go ahead. I don't know if they want anybody to get shot. Right. But Sway is being who Sway is kind of tricked me into whatever. You know what I'm mean? saying? Yeah. So, so anyway, back to your, I just wanted to tell you, I, think that's I love you for, for signing, um, Thank you. for signing them because it, it changed the world of how the Bay Thank was you. looked at around the world. Thank right. You. And I mean, when you hear there are movies that we watch and records that we listen to that don't age well, but 93. Oh, man, what? You can put that record on right now. I see kids wearing those shirts, 93 too. Yeah, the, high, the the logo and everything. I mean. So from what I understand, that logo, beside the Wu-Tang logo, is just like one and two in the world for hip-hop. Really? Yeah. And, and I've that talked was, to Hiro. That, that was all, yeah, they totally figured out how to, um, how to really make that logo pop and popular. When I hear 93, just those first notes, yeah. for some reason, Tech, I'm on a beach and my feet are in the water. Yeah, it was magic. It was magic. It's so, it's, it's transporting yeah. in this way that just takes you to kind of like a dream state as opposed to Wu-Tang, which is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In your punch face. you in the yeah. grill, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're right here, you're in New York and it's dirty and it's grimy and it's smelly. Whereas 93, I was like, oh man, like I don't have it's a crazy. care in the yeah. fucking world. So now Riz is walking away and you're thinking what out of the restaurant? I, I, I'm literally thinking that's one of the smartest motherfuckers I've ever met. And I know a lot of smart motherfuckers. And he turns around and he says, Soph. And I said, yeah. And he said, next time lunch is on me. And to this day, Lunch is always on here. <laughs> Lunch is on here. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. So then, have you watched the series? I've watched some of it. I haven't watched all of it. You I'm haven't watched all of it? Oh, my God, man. So basically, my, my, so you being an insider, mm. how did they handle all the different personalities and the beefs that were going on? Because what I understood was you were the manager of Jizza, Rizza, and ODB, God rest and ODB soul, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And by manager, I mean they was pretty much calling you, hey, can yeah. you help us with this? Mm-hmm. Can you help us with that? Can you help us with this? And I know they were probably driving you nuts. Mm-hmm. But at some point when you're in the inner circle and all these personalities are starting to clash, like this guy's beefing with this guy, this guy's beefing with this guy, what is going through your mind? Like did you ever ask RZA, like, hey, man, how do you handle all of this drama that's going on? Because in my heart I'm thinking – Yes, he's the smartest guy in the room. Yes, he's the nicest guy in the room. And he, put, he gave all these people jobs and lives and, you know, brought them lots of money, right? And now they're beefing sometimes with him. Right. 
How did he handle all of that? I think that I never asked him because I watched him. Mm. You know, I'm so so I'm right there in the midst of a lot of those conversations. And I think that Riza, I know that Riza has a very very strong spiritual core. Right. You can't really move him from his center, you know? Yeah. He also, look, he's got an ego. There's no doubt about it. You have to have an ego to do what the fuck those boys do. Right. 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 To be an MC and to be up there and be like, I'm the greatest in the world, you have to have an ego. Just right. like I have an ego, I'm, I'm up here saying to the world, I'm the baddest bitch in the room. Right. He has an ego, but I also find that he is deeply humble. So, and he's got so much love. He has this great capacity for love. So I think that when he accepts those conversations, positive and negative, they don't, I don't think that they shake him in the same way that they would normal people. Like you saw the, um, the Showtime docuseries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the very, very last, almost the last scene in the last episode is they're sitting in the movie theater mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they, they go at him a little bit. They do. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, right? I remember it. Yeah. And and the camera pans to Riza. And he's got his sunglasses on, but you can see it in his face that he's just taking it. And he's not getting angry, he's not getting upset, and I just watched that and I thought I don't know that I would have the constitution to be that calm and to be that accepting of this. And I again, I think it speaks to his spiritual core. Um, and what were they mad at him about? Can you explain that in the doc? They were. Uh, I mean, I feel like what came out in the docu series was, as you know, this happens with so this happened. I don't know that it happens anymore, but it happened with so many hip hop crews back in the day. Okay, a lot of them didn't weren't business savvy. Who would be? I wasn't. You know, and so a lot of crews back in the day, you know, the producer or the head of the group would get, remember, it was called a production deal. Right. And so, and then the, you know, so then if I have a production deal with Atlantic Records, Atlantic Records doesn't sign tech, I sign tech. Right. Remember this? And I'm signed to you. You're signed to me. Right. And I furnish you, it's a furnishing deal. I furnish you to Atlantic Records. And so this triangulation of money and royalties is kind of complicated. It's it not the same as you just going directly to Atlantic. Right. And maybe you don't know what I'm taking right. off the top. Exactly. And so I don't, I, I don't think there was ever anything nefarious going on with anybody, but I think there was a lot of, uh, there weren't enough conversations around, let's be really clear about what we're getting into here. Absolutely. Because again, they're young. Right. And they're not MBAs. You know, they're, right. they're, they're not artists, especially they're so young. They're not equipped. Who would be unless you've been trained in business? Who was equipped to actually have those conversations? So I think what happened is that there was a lot of um, confusion. I think there was a lot of miscommunication. Look, Tech, I'm an efficiencies expert, and I can run the shit out of a company. And I always say that the greatest frailty of any enterprise, whether it's four people or 4,000 people, is poor communication. Mm. So I think that at the core of everything was probably poor communication. And, you know, when you're as close as 
crews can get. You just, okay, let's just deal with that later. Let's just do this right now. Right. And sometimes when you deal with it later, you might not like what you see. And mm. I and you and I have seen that happen with lots of artists. Oh, Easy E, man. Uh, Easy E told me a story that that it's oh, really? very similar where he was like, "Look, man, I put the money up. I did this. I paid for the tour. Um when we came when, when Swain Tech moved to LA 94, uh rest in peace Easy E. He he kind of took us under his wing a little bit cuz um LA dudes did not like Bay Area dudes at that time. Interesting. It was just really weird, that's but that's what I found out when I So he had to kind of stamp us. Okay. And he told me a similar story about um NWA type yeah. thing. I was like, "What happened between you and Ice yeah. Cube and yeah, yeah. now with Dre?" He's like, "Man, listen, I'm the one that put up all the money." Mm-hmm. Right? I had to get an attorney to pay the attorney. Then mm-hmm. I got a manager to pay that guy. Then this guy. So mm-hmm. when the money comes in, I got to go, okay, he gets paid, he gets paid, he gets paid, he gets paid. Right. Um, and, and I agree with you going back to what, uh, when, you know, when I look at RZA in that scene with the glasses, you and I also know if that dude starts speaking the truth, he can go off. There ain't right. that many people that can challenge RZA on, you know, because I've asked him before, man, how do you deal with like this they they're coming at you. He's like, Tech man, this is the thing. If I lose it, I don't just lose it and fight one dude. I flip the whole bus over. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. whoa, hey, mm-hmm. hey. Because he's like, so me knowing myself, mm-hmm. I've known just to, hey man, it's all good. Yeah. And his brother Divine really broke it down when he said, you know, um, if you step on RZA's shoes a bunch of times. Like, if you stepped on my shoes a bunch of times, the third time, we're fighting. Because I'm like, you're doing it on purpose now, dude. It's not an accident. Right, right, right. You step on Rizzo's shoes three times, he just takes his foot out of this shoe and puts it on another shoe keeps going, which makes the guy right. even more upset. Right, and he and you'll never see him again. You'll yeah. never have the opportunity to step exactly. on his shoe Exactly. You never see him. Exactly. So, and, you know, when Rizzo and I were neighbors, he used to live very, very close to our house in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in the valley here in, uh, in L.A. I went over his house one time. And I said, hey, you know, just out of curiosity, and we're talking about RZA here. Hey, man, what if Wu-Tang Clan or any other MC in the world ever challenged you as an MC? Because you're pretty much known as a producer. But you have some dope lyrics here and there. He was like, um, let me show you something, man. He opens up this closet door, and he has about six or seven notebooks, right? So apparently... <laughs> In 2000, you remember when they said Y2K is going to end the world? Oh, right, right, because of the computer glitch. Computer glitch. And, oh, my God. The- he went to, uh, what is it, Ohio, where they got the Wu-Tang yeah, Mountain yeah, or whatever yeah. they, they yeah. got, right? Mm-hmm. So for six months, this dude must have envisioned anybody who's challenging him, oh whether God. Wu-Tang or not. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. And the guy, and I was like, man, you joking, man. So I grabbed one of the books, and I pay, open up page 195, whatever it was. And I go, man, because it, it looked like scribbles to me. And he starts busting it, and his shit is dope. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what, what, what? Come on, Go like 10 pages forward. Then I start to realize, like, this dude is always ready. And he told me, he said, one of the best advice he ever gave me was like, Tech, you never stop working. Whether you're getting paid or not. Sharpen your blade every day. You never stop working. Absolutely. Sharpen your blade every day. And I think that he might have learned a little bit of that from training with, with Shifu, with my ex. Yeah, and well. can you explain that a little bit? Because it's like the <laughs> it's like so. I get a call from him. I think before you met him. No, the, was no. it before you met him? Am I am what, I confused? Met my ex. So I get. So I don't know. No, so no, let me no. let me go through. This I story. met my ex and introduced him to Wu Tang. So I get this Let's call that um, somebody is a, a, a kung fu master mm-hmm. is in 
was he in the Bay Area or or some, touring somewhere and he escaped? He just uh, like he was in the Bay. That's right. That was, he was in, in San Francisco. He was in the Bay, oh. and he he's he's like he didn't get on the bus or whatever he was supposed to get back to go back to China. Snuck out of the hotel, yeah. Right. So he snuck out the hotel. Next thing I know, it was like this is this is how close Riz and I are, are, you know. So he's like, Zach, just just have him come out of wake up show and do something with him. Do what, man? Like, what do I do? So he comes on the wake-up show, right? So then, I'm, And then the guy's like the nicest guy in the world. So like the next day, I don't know where to take him. This is actually a funny story. So at that time, the only people I knew that were into martial arts were Billy Blanks, the Taibo King, right? Yeah. And they were supposed to be karate experts. So I grab Sifu, and we go to Billy Blanks. And them two dudes are standing there staring at me like, Jack, why in the fuck what are, are we you doing bringing right the Shaolin smoke into our studio? And I didn't, because I was like, bro, what I do with this dude? Like, I don't know, because, you know, and Steve was probably like, why the fuck am I in a no, Taibo place, dude? No, he never like be that. like that. He's not that person at all. So, yeah, so when did you get into the picture? Was it before this or after this? I, I don't even so know. So I, so. We're talking about a Kung Fu master right now, yeah, right? Yeah, no, he's a Shaolin, he's a Shaolin monk and a, he's a Shaolin master, so. Let let me give you some context. So okay. I'm a yellow girl growing up in a white world wanting to be white in Vancouver. I hear the message. I move to New York. I hang out with the native tongues and all of their Afrocentrism. Right. And I, I can't, a spark, a spark is being like, right. like, oh my God, like that. Remember that yearning for them to connect with the continent of Africa. Remember they wore the clothes, they had the medallions right, and right, all that right, kind of stuff. Right, right. And so I'm starting to be curious. And then I meet Wu-Tang and they're called Wu-Tang clan named after Udang, which is a mountain in Hebei province. They call Staten Island their home borough, Shaolin. So it's all baked into this Asian culture this ethos is baked into their their whole world right mm. and then they have they watch these kung fu movies the kung fu movies they watch the john woo movies and so i'm like you know what this is really cool and so i am up close and personal with these guys that have such deep respect for my culture which i've rejected i broadly rejected right and so i start watching kung fu movies and my girlfriend maria ma and i were like yo let's go do kung fu and so we heard that there was a shaolin monk teaching kung fu which is the same as lebron james opening up a basketball school down the street from you right and we went and we found him and he didn't speak any english she speaks mandarin he speaks mandarin so she did all the talking and i went home that night and i called my parents and i said i met the man i'm gonna marry today Uh, what yes and he told me that he thought i was like an odd 16 year old boy he thought i was a boy the first day that we met and then (laughs) So that was February 10th, 1995. I started training in July, uh, July 10th, 1995. And the first time that Riza met him was at Jizza's Liquid Swords release party. And I don't remember the exact date. But, you know, Wu-Tang, remember, Wu-Tang claims me, right? So right. I'm their little charge. They're right. like my bodyguards. Right. And they, they keep me in their breast pocket. And they always keep me safe. And they've never seen me with a man. Ever. No one's ever seen me with a man. I'm busting my ass doing A&R. And if I'm doing anything, I'm doing it so on the low and in the cut. Right. Because I knew that I couldn't be fucking around. Right. Not fair, right. but I knew that I couldn't. So, you know, then I'm going to introduce them. And there was no doubt in my mind, like I said, like, this is my man. This is my future. We're going to have children. That, we're going to build it. How? Build when, how did it click? Like, an angel came in the room and the lights was going on and off. Lightning happened. you know what? It was like this with my Taxi first... cab hit you. <laughs> no, it was like the same thing with my first boyfriend. I walk into a club in Vancouver and I see him on stage playing bass. And I was like, 
that's my boyfriend. He was my boyfriend for three and a half years. I don't know what it is. It wasn't, and it wasn't this, it wasn't that. It wasn't like, oh my God, I'm floating on a bed of roses. It was just like, yep, that's him right there. And so I, you know, the first time that I introduced Wu-Tang to a man in my life, it's a fucking Shaolin monk. Right. And as you can imagine, they loved him. I mean, you met him. He, you, how can you not love him? He's so... I mean, forget the martial artist. He's the, you know, that's that's not even to be disputed. He's the greatest martial artist I've ever seen and I've ever met, right, and, right, I, right. and I've seen the best. Right. But also remember that he he was grew up and trained at the Shaolin Temple, so it's not just the physical, but it's also Chan Buddhism. So he is also deeply ensconced in Buddhism. Like I believe that he's enlightened, and so he's also a master of Buddhism. And Riza is a philosopher. Right. And so. And and you know this as well as I do, Tech, that what Wu-Tang saw in those Kung Fu movies, it wasn't just the action, which we all love, and it's deliriously fun. No, it wasn't action. Yeah. It was the themes. Yeah. Loyalty. Yeah. Brotherhood. Yeah. Few against many. Oppression. All of those things, and, and the philosophy, which I think Asian filmmakers do better than anybody else. And so they met, and they really hit it off, and RZA started training, and they all loved him. And it was really amazing for me to be able to bring, you know, a Shaolin monk to Wu-Tang. And then 1999, I organized this trip for 50 students and disciples to go to China. And Riza comes with us, and he is the first artist ever to perform in front of the Shaolin Temple. It was 1,500 years old. It was the 1,500th anniversary of Shaolin Temple in 1995. 1495 is when, um, 14, let me think, yeah. 1500, yeah, 1495, is when um, it opened and Riz is standing there and he's rapping in front of the Shaolin Temple and then we took him to Wu-Tang Mountain. Mm. It, was, it was so meta and it was surreal and it was sublime. And tech for me, especially at Wu-Tang, because Shaolin I'm more bound to because I'm married to a Shaolin monk and this is the training that I do, but for Wu-Tang, going to the top of Wu-Tang Mountain, which is a mile-high mountain, what was more special to me than my direct experience was watching him. Mm. You know, just think soaking about it all in, soaking it up. All of it. You know, here is a kid, one of 11 children, I believe, raised by a single mother in the projects of Staten Island in a two bedroom apartment. Asthmatic, lost his vision at one point. He went blind at like seven, you know? And what was one of his worlds into which he escaped? Kung Fu movies. He is a boy that grew into a man that founded a group called Wu-Tang Clan. And here I am, Sophia Chang, and I deliver him to the tough fucking mile-high peak of Wu-Tang Mountain. The Riza, the abbot of Wu-Tang Clan, meets the abbot of Wu-Tang Mountain. It's a temple of the <laughs> wow. purple cloud. Yeah. And he gives him music, and he feeds us tea. And what it looked like, Tech, was just what we were talking about earlier. You're home. Mm. You're home. And so phenotypically, like all of his biological markers, he doesn't fit in. He's tall. He's black. You know, we don't see guys like this here. But none of that mattered. Because he, I say it in my memoir, he had arrived. He was supposed to be there. And it was so beautiful. And I'm really grateful to the universe that I was able to orchestrate this piece of history you know it's funny i remember you know how you remember the rizza in that meeting so we're in a movie you and i were watching a movie with tony jaws the star and Umbach. I, Umbach, tony right? jaws single now 
Oh, uh, <laughs> shout out. <coughs> um, so Tony Ja is literally running, like at the end of this movie, you know, just to demonstrate how good he is, right? They have five or six people standing there. The guy climbs another guy, climbs another guy, and holds a piece of, I mean, a, popcorn. a popcorn box 20 feet up in the air. And like, we're like, what the fuck? Is, what, what is this guy doing? Mm-hmm. Tony Ja runs. Does some crazy flip flop backflip in the air, kicks the box upside down. So crazy. The whole place goes crazy. Like, ah, right, right. So I'm like, damn, this dude's incredible, right? And we're walking out of the theater, and I come up to you and I go, Sifu versus Tony Ja. And you're like, what? Uh, Sophia, I want the truth. Sifu, and then you looked at me and whispered in my ear, Sifu would kick his ass all day. Yeah. And then you just walked out. I was like, <laughs> that was it. That might have been the last time I saw you. I was like, damn. That can't be the last time. See, well, you know, Sifu was the national fighting champion of China two years running. That's not a small country. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. He is a fighter to the core. Look, Tony's bad. That is a bad motherfucker. But Sifu is, uh, he's, you know, there's a difference between strength and power. So when I think of strength, I think of those those competitions, you know, when the men are like pulling a freight train. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, my God, you're so strong. That's like, right. how many tons? Right. But power is what Bruce Lee had. Right. You know that, you know that amazing footage of him doing the one-inch punch? The one-inch punch, yeah. And the guy flies, and you know that, because you can't fake that. What are you going to do? You're going to, like, propel yourself back? Right, He's right, not right. kicking himself back. Right. And he just does this one-inch punch. And I, and I really believe that there's no one more powerful uh, than Yan Ming because of his training. Because, you know, we talk about Tai Chi, you know, we talk about Qigong, and the Qi in that is your life force. It's your energy. And what they learned at Shaolin in that training was how do you channel it? And let's get, how about all of my Qi is right here in the end of my fist? I can put all of my power into six square inches. And I can drive that shit right through your fucking body. Right. I can get you through the solar plexus and I can knock out your spine. That's the kind of power he has. And I know that Tony is a good fighter. I absolutely do not think he's um, like a choreographed fighter or any of that. And, and I know that, but I don't think anybody could be, could be Yen Ming. No really, one. no one. Jet, I, I can't Jet, say Jet now. Lee, Jet Li? Jet Li? Jet Li is a martial art. Jet Li does wushu. So wushu is... Um, Wushu is a much more performative, right? Mm-hmm. Jackie Chan came up in the Beijing Opera. So Jet Li can fight, but not like Yan Ming can fight. There's no way. Mm. There's no way. I can't speak for the man that he is now, but when I was with him, for sure. So I want to leave off with this. What's going on with you right now? And what, what, should we, what does the world need to know that we don't know about? Because I think we just covered a lot of cool stuff <laughs> that did. I've never heard you talk about. <laughs> I've never heard talk. I'm serious, man. I don't know if this was too deep, or I love getting deep with I people hope to it find wasn't out. Too deep for your audience. No, it wasn't too deep for me. I think it was. No. So what amazing. should we expect from you now? Like, what's the plan? Thank Is- you for asking. So I just released my audio memoir called "The Baddest Bitch in the Room" on Audible. Uh, it's essentially my life story, touching on a lot of the things, these very smart questions that you asked me, Tech, and um, 
I did something that no one's ever done before, and I really delight in breaking the mold. So in an audiobook, typically there's a book that comes out, then there's an ebook, there's an audiobook, and you hire somebody to come and read. They'll sit in a studio and they'll read right. your book for you. Well, in my book, you have the author's voice. You have 25 guest voices. I have six members of Wu-Tang in my book reading their dialogue. I have the three surviving members of A Tribe Called Quest, God Rest Your Soul, Fife. I have Joey Badass, G Herbo, Red Man, Method Man. I mean, it's incredible, frankly, what I did, and nobody else could do it. So I have my voice, 25 guest voices. I have original score from FKI First from Atlanta, from DJ Muggs, um, and from Organized Noise, also from Atlanta. I have licensed music, which no one's ever done before, and I have sound design. Wow. And there is an explicit and a clean version because I was like, you know what? I well, remember remember that? Yeah, yeah, remember when yeah. you were, when we were sh- yeah, we well, never bought the clean version. No. We needed the parental advisory right. sticker. So, I've created this 360 immersive audible experience that no one's ever done. I'll take my Grammy now. Thank you very much. Um and that's this thing that I did speaking about someone from the bay. This was really stressful. Imagine that I I'm I have rap, like I have all these rappers and I have to go get them and then I have to get them to sign releases. And it was really stressful tech. And I did all of this by myself because there's no one else that could have done it. And I was in tears every day for like nine days. And at one point I called your Bay Patriot compatriot, Raphael Sadiq. Mm. And I was in tears. He was like, what's up, Sophie? And I was like, oh man, Sadiq, I'm just, I'm stressed the fuck out. And there's so much I need to do. And I feel like it's just so heavy. And he said, Sophie, you did it already. You wrote the book. Right. Yeah, and it's coming out. And don't forget that this book opens the doors to so much more. And I so needed, because I called him because how long has Ray been doing it? 30 years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long has he been writing hits records? You yeah, know, he's like, yeah, it's always going to feel like this, Sophia. And just remember the big picture. And that was super, super helpful. So there's the audio book. Um, there will eventually be a print book. I am developing a scripted series based on my life. I'm developing um, also a scripted series based on the life of my sister, ex-sister-in-law, Carrie Goldberg, who is an attorney at the front of um, assault. Uh, any uh, vict- She represents victims of assault. And I just have, you know, Tech, after basically 30 years of being behind the scenes and don't look at the woman behind the curtain and skirting the red carpet and the bright lights, I decided... I'm going to write a memoir only because I, could fi- I figured out if I write this, I can help people. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Because you and I, what are we going to write a book about hanging out with famous people? Who gives a fuck? Right. There, right. there exactly. are hundreds of people that can write that book better than me yeah. that have hung out with much more famous people and been in much cooler scenes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. when I realized that sharing my story as a middle-aged, single mother, woman of color, who has been in so many different disciplines and gone through so much in her life that how that could be instructive to young women and particularly young women of color, I was like, okay, I'll do it. Because I'm like you. I, I didn't want to be famous. I'm about to be fucking famous, and I didn't want that. And I still don't really want it. The only reason that I'm willing to step in the spotlight and grab a microphone is because I know that my voice can be helpful. It's the only reason I'm doing it. Yeah, we're going to leave it on that, man. That was a, a, a beautiful, emotional ending. Uh, I'm going to go to the bathroom and start crying now. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, my God. I love you so much. Oh, man. That was awesome, man. 
It's been this is this has been coming for at least twenty some years because I like I said I keep running into you and I saw the respect everyone has and I'm like Thank what is you. her story she did what that, but I gotta ask you who's your favorite rapper on Wu Tang Clan? Oh come last on! Last question. Come on, last, Tech. Come on, man! Like, no, seriously, you've been honest this whole time. The pause. We need to put um the Jeopardy theme music in. Yeah, here, that's man. a really. <laughs> God, because you know what? It actually, honestly, it shifts from day to day. But I would say that it's Ghostface for four hundred. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no. Is it Ghost? I think it's Ghost, and I'll tell you why. Um, because Ghost to me emotes better than to me any other MC. Period. And how emotional and how raw and how vulnerable he can be, like. All that I got is you. I remember the first time I heard that song. Rizza brought it in as a demo because I was running Razor Sharp Records, and I just cried. I just couldn't stop crying. Like, I, you know, two brothers with muscular dystrophy killed me, and you know, you saw that mm-hmm. in the show. In the show and yeah, yeah. I, I just think how open and how raw he is. And meth, actually, meth is meth is like this too. But there's something about the way that Ghost expresses himself that I just. I it just really really touches me, and it's not about lyrical skill; it's about expression. Mm. Thank you for answering. Well, that. good. No, then I get to ask you. Yeah. Same question. Yeah. Same question. Uh, I'm a Jizza fan. Yeah. And I tell and the reason is because, um, and I learned this through watching uh, the series. He had studied more than everybody, like the lessons and all the stuff with Nation of Islam and all that stuff. So. You know, being a fan of Rakim, who, you know, brought us the whole nation. Of There's course. seven MCs, pull yes. them in a the line. Yeah. So Jizza, to me, when he starts um, rhyming, it wasn't the most, probably the intricate rhymes, but it was like the science he was dropping. And the at the end of the day, rapping is talking, right? Yeah. So if you're telling me some stuff that I haven't heard or something yeah. that's going to keep me captivated, I'm like, wow, man, did you yeah. hear what he just said? So I can listen to a whole Jizza album from beginning to end in a one-car yeah. ride and just not forward anything. So, no, I agree. You know, Rizza's dope. Like, they're all dope. They are. I, they're obviously. all dope. Jizza, to me, in terms of pure lyrics, yeah, pure lyricism yeah, is my favorite. Yeah, but yeah. I know what you're saying about Ghost. It's, yeah. it's, his style is it can't be duplicated. It can't. Because he's yeah. not even rhyming on beat sometimes. He's just like, da, da, ba, ba, da, and he kind of brings it back on beat. You're <laughs> like, God damn. Right. He's, he's a genius with it too. But the totally. Jizza, to me, was like somebody I could listen to. and I, You don't have to dissect anything. You just hear it and go, damn, that was dope. Right. And, you know, and they say he's the head of Ultron. You know, Jizza is the, Jizza is the clan elder. He's the head of Ultron. He's the one that they all have the utmost respect for. And then you have Meth, who to me is, like, Meth is the platonic love of my life forever forever and ever and ever and into many many lifetimes and so when you talk about the biggest star mm-hmm. it was meth for yeah. sure and yeah. it still is yeah and then we, there's you know it's just you know we can keep um, how much time you got because yes, uh we, we go for another hour and a half man because i got some more questions <laughs> now that you're talking about MC and uh you know i got i got some questions about you know yeah we got to end it on here man listen um, i adore thank you. you thank you, you for having me you were uh, amazing i'm gonna come around and give you a hug please. And you can't see it on the podcast but I, i'm gonna i'm going around i want a yeah. big ass hug all right